You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Deputy Chief Mike Barbells. As we wrap up 2021, we still are in the midst of the COVID-19 global pandemic. But despite challenges, there is much to be grateful for. The great work of our firefighters and EMTs this year show the department's commitment to ensuring the safety of all New Yorkers. Before we say goodbye to 2021, we want to revisit the highlights, takeaways, and lessons learned from this year's podcast, which include notable rescues, a renewed focus on health and wellness, and perhaps the most momentous event for the department this year, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 World Trade Center attacks. 20 years later, we continue to honor the 343 members we lost on September 11, 2001, asking members to recount their experiences that day. In this September's episode, Fire Commissioner Daniel Nigro joined us for the first time on the podcast and reflected on his experiences that day and the days after. He began the day as Chief of Operations and ended it as Acting Chief of Department after his good friend, Chief Peter Gancy, was killed. For a chief officer that loses a firefighter at a job, it's, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you. So the fact that, you know, being the chief of operations at this operation and losing that many members in one heartbeat, I've never really been able to get over that completely. I think that, you know, that'll just stay. It just stays. It's something you suppress and live with, but it does not go away. The commissioner spoke of the commitment to honor those we lost now and forever. It's an obligation we have to the families to never forget. We said we would never forget, and we won't. And what we mean is we won't forget the bravery of the members, and we won't forget the families they left behind. And I think the department has followed through on that now for almost 20 years. And 20 years later, the department continues to grow and rebuild, facing new and varied challenges. I think having gone through something as difficult as 9-11 the day and 9-11 the aftermath gave me a mindset that no problem is unsolvable or nothing is beyond our capability to deal with and to create a solution for. And I think we've been able to do this these past years to look at whether it was Ebola coming to our city or this pandemic that won't leave us. We have to make difficult decisions every day. And having the experience of making difficult decisions under duress and under a lot of stress and strain helps in the everyday business of the job today. The health consequences to the FDNY's World Trade Center exposed rescue and recovery workers were immediate and far-reaching, and the FDNY World Trade Center Health Program began treatment day one and continues today. To date, more than 250 active and retired members have died due to illness related to their work at the World Trade Center and thousands more being treated. But there is hope, treatments, and support. In October's episode, Chief Medical Officer and Co-Director of the FDNY's World Trade Center Health Program, Dr. David Pizant talks with host Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio about the 20th anniversary edition of the World Trade Center Health Impact Report and the importance of consistent health screenings. It really requires the member, active or retired, to be staying on top of their annual medicals, right? Absolutely. Because otherwise you don't have early recognition. Yep. Do you think that's, or were you able to demonstrate that that's the real key piece to 
the lower mortality rate? It's one of the key pieces. Early diagnosis comes from the monitoring program. Right. Also comes from the treatment program in that people who may not have had a recent monitoring exam, if they have a new symptom, they will come in. But so many cancers start off being asymptomatic, so right. monitoring is critical. We have a slightly over 80% of our group coming for annual monitoring exams. In addition to sharing 20 years of data, for the first time, the report includes testimonials from members that have been positively impacted by the monitoring and treatment program, including one from our host, Chief Elizabeth Cassio. These are people that have come forward to share their story, I think so that they can demonstrate that people who come down with these illnesses can survive mm -hmm. and that they do survive. And what we wanted to show is that there's hope that coming down with an illness does not mean that death is imminent, that treatment can bring back a very, very healthy life, certain modifications being necessary, but of a very healthy life. And then, of course, we highlight cancer survivors. And one of those cancer survivors is, is you. And we, we talk briefly about your story and the importance of pap smears and the importance of early diagnosis and treatment and uh, how phenomenal it is that we still have you here and uh, can still you know, share our lives with you. Thank you. The program really is, as you said, a blessing. I mean, the amount of support that you get, not just financially, and financially is a huge burden that could really demoralize to the point of feeling hopeless. But this, the other support that you get, the psychological support, the assistance, getting to and from, I never had to worry about how was I going to get anywhere or get home. And for me, the treatment was Monday through Friday, the radiation, and then the chemo once a week on top of that. We wish Chief Cassio and all of the members in the program well. Our highly trained members remain prepared and ready to handle whatever the emergency comes their way. A normal day at the FDNY is unpredictable, involving risks and hazards. And this year was no different for our firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics. Our first episode of the year, Battalion Chief Tom Fitzgerald, Lieutenants Rich Davin and Rob Brown recounted to host Battalion Chief Brian Mulry their early morning operation in Washington Heights where several people were trapped on the top floor, the floor above the fire. I did a search of the bedroom, but I could hear noise. And then I opened up a door thinking maybe someone was hiding in a closet and it turned out to be this bedroom where I went around, searched. I come up to the window and there's two people there. And I, I knew I kind of had to move them out of the room fast if I wanted to get them out without assistance. I started to move them out of the bedroom itself, and I could hear noise behind me. And I said, stay right here. I'll be right back. And I went back into the room and searched around the bed again and went just past where they were, and there was a woman that was laying unconscious. Okay, so that's a 610 right? So, right? Yeah. Teamwork was key as members from multiple companies worked in an extremely hazardous and smoke-filled environment to save multiple people, including a child and her grandmother. When I first came on the job, uh, I had an older uh, member uh, describe uh, a fire as being organized chaos. And to try to get through that, it's teamwork. And if everybody knows where they're going to be, and if you can kind of play off what the other members are doing, that day Squad 41 acted as a second truck on, on the floor above. We needed Squad up there, and it all worked out well. And everybody survived this fire. Maybe there was 14 uh, 1045s, but 
there were six or seven or eight that were really in Seriously trouble. Seriously in peril. There was no break on the handy talkie. Every time you turned around, there was a new transmission. A lot of them were 1045. I just felt like I had just had to get personnel up into the building, up into the top floor. At this fire, firefighters Abe Miller and Jairo Sosa performed a roof rope rescue that saved the five-year-old child that lived in the building. For their efforts, firefighter Miller received the Chief of Department Peter J. Gancy Jr. Medal, and firefighter Sosa received the John H. Prentice Medal at this year's FDNY Medal Day ceremony held in June. They explain the operation and credit their training in August's episode. I'm, I'm reaching in, grabbing her, and grandmother was helping me from the inside too. So. I got her. She just fell into my chest and I just wrapped her around my arms. I was just telling her because she was like just curled up. I was telling her, you know, I would train. Put your arm around my neck, you know, just to have that little extra uh, safety with it, with the arms around my neck. And once I knew I had her secure, I looked up. I was like, down, down, down. I wanted out. I wanted yeah. to get down. I just <laughs> told the grandmother she was right there. It was just like, stay at the window. Stay right here. Just for her to breathe, I'm just like, stay at the window. We're going to get you. We drill on so many things constantly for so many different emergencies. You don't ask for these emergencies, but you prepare for them constantly, day in, day out. And over the years, I've been just training, training, training on roof rope rescues, cutting roofs or car accidents, fires, many Subway. different things, yeah, subways. Everything you could think of that could be an emergency, we've been training constantly, constantly, constantly. And when the roof rope rescue came, we were prepared. We knew what we had to do. We knew whatever situations happened, we were ready just to do our best. EMTs Gary Huey and Samuel Wright were awarded the Christopher J. Prescott Medal, the highest honor the department can bestow on a member of EMS operations. The two did not hesitate to save an unconscious trapped driver, pulling in the safety from his burning truck after it crashed. The two reflected on this operation during our July podcast with Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. When I made entry through the passenger side, I, I crawled over him and undid his seatbelt and then unlocked the driver's side door. I crawled back over him and then I hopped out of the vehicle and kind of pulled the patient on top of me. It's just a tall truck. Yeah, it's a tall vehicle, right? So that was kind of the best bet. And then got him out onto the ground and then just got my arms under him and just dragged him back up the block. During this extrication, are you thinking about your own safety at any point? Or does that not even occur to you until it's all over? <laughs> that didn't even occur to us. No. We just worry about the patient, really, and the public safety. In November's episode, we discussed the rescue of one of our own. Lieutenant Steve Schumann and Lieutenant Fred Ill discussed with host Battalion Chief Brian Mulry how an operation went from an unremarkable commercial building fire to a rescue operation in moments after the roof collapsed on members of Engine 311. Lieutenant Schumann was trapped for several minutes until a coordinated and methodical operation by units on scene freed him. Initially, when the, the section of the roof pushed me down to the ground, my knees were basically at my chest. I was basically like a crouch position on the mm. ground with the roof on my back. I was able to kind of push my legs out from underneath me, just knowing that that weight in the crouch position, I knew I had no, no chance of, uh, you know, I was going to suffocate. So I was able to push my legs out from underneath me, and that got me in uh, basically laying down on my right side with my right arm underneath me, my right elbow underneath my body, and the roof resting on my left shoulder. And initially, I was able to move my left arm. Your top arm? Yes, my top arm. My right arm was, was out of play. That was completely crushed underneath me. I couldn't move it at all. And my left arm, I could move, you know, not a lot, but I was able to move enough, uh, which was pretty critical because my purge valve got knocked open. So I was able to shut my purge valve. 
So they made about four cuts in a rectangular fashion. And this is all rapid. As, as careful as they were being, it was fast. The, the roof is mainly sheathing and, and plywood. It was a little shocking that we weren't cutting through two by sixes yeah, yeah. Or, or tongue and root boards. Okay, so now he was able to make a cut. They located his leg. They were able to orientate how he was laying, correct? Yes, members kind of spread themselves out like on an operating table and stayed in their spot. They didn't move back and forth. They passed tools back and forth like surgeons. Operational readiness, being prepared, and able to adapt to evolving emergencies is an important part of the department's training. During our April podcast, Deputy Chief Chuck Downey shared takeaways about Mayday's discussed at FDNY's Strategic Awareness Program, which is designed to allow members to share their experiences on specific topics or operations, learn from it and from each other, and better the skills of everyone. The feedback has been excellent because... We're not teaching, we're facilitating, we're sharing experiences. And by sharing experiences, you know, hopefully the next time that tactical decision that you do have to make at that instant, we might recall it from, hey, yeah, that was cycle five, that was cycle three. Yeah. They did that and that worked. And showing that humility again, every call we do make doesn't always work well either. And I think that's part of training and staying yeah. current and staying, you know, driven to be the best that you can be. Continuous training is pivotal for all members. And highlighting how to stay safe while operating is emphasized each year during our June podcast. Deputy Assistant Chief Michael Myers emphasized the importance of responding safely for this year's Safety Week. By always remembering to drive to sites carefully and being mindful of your surroundings, accidents can be avoided. The only thing that we try to do in the safety command and every, every officer on the FDNY tries to do, whether it be for fire or EMS, is to make sure that everybody goes home in the same condition that they came in to work with. In the continuing pandemic, our first responders have been beacons of resilience, notably our EMS members. At the peak of the pandemic, call volume rose dramatically with many members taking on more responsibility. Assistant Chiefs Alvin Suriel and Jonathan Pastilli reflected on how the Bureau of EMS rose to meet those challenges and more in our MADE podcast. There's no getting through something like this without everybody doing their part. All hands on deck. Everybody. (laughs) All the support services and the people with the boots on the ground and the people behind the scenes. You just never could have done it without them. The commitment level is just tremendous. We all are in our fourth decade. Mm -hmm. Um, We've never seen this before, the way EMS was spotlighted by the press. How do you feel about the feedback that we get from the public based on that? I think what changed is that it brought to light what we really do. And I hope that the public sees that what they are are heroes. It's just been a horrible experience for many of us. I don't think COVID has not touched a single person, whether through a friend or a family or coworkers. And like you said, they bring the emergency room to the house. And some people don't recognize or realize, or maybe they don't know that we don't just take people to the hospital. We treat, and a lot of the, what we call saves, are saves because you don't go into cardiac arrest because they intervene. And it's that knowledge and that dedication that I think that the public hopefully sees in all our members now that I don't think many saw before. Through these experiences, support, and training, the FDNY continues to be a life-saving agency that New York City residents and visitors can rely on. In our March episode, firefighter Jackie Michelle Martinez shares her personal experiences as an EMT, firefighter, and women's outreach coordinator, detailing what she tells others about the demands of being a member of this department. 
our job is very, very physical. Being a firefighter, being an EMT, being a paramedic is a very physical job. It demands a lot of your emotions. It demands a lot of your mental fortitude. And it especially demands a lot of your physical strength. Captain Joy Garcia emulated similar feelings in our ProFit February podcast, in which she shared the importance of mindfulness and resilience in her work during the pandemic, and how fitness has continued to help shape her continued strong work for the health of the community. The most surprising thing is how our behavior and energy impact people with just our presence. When we walk into a room, we have the ability to help people transition their day, their moment, and that impact goes beyond words. It's just what we are, what we represent. They see our uniform and they can be the public, it can be our own membership. So being a part of that has really allowed me to cultivate what I want to represent. What is my energy presenting when I step into a room? What's the exchange I want to have with my membership, with my community? This year had its own challenges and lessons learned in the midst of the ongoing pandemic and the 20th anniversary of 9-11. These lessons and experiences from the FDNY members offer great ways for all of us to learn, grow, and support one another. As we move into 2022, we will continue to learn and speak about our experiences. Thank you for listening to this episode of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm Deputy Chief Michael Barvels. For more training and information from our department's subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.